This podcast is presented by Ziggler, the most trusted brand in personal and business development, influencing over 250 million people worldwide. Visit Ziggler.com to see how they can inspire your true performance. Coming up next in the show. For anyone who writes, I have an exercise that made a tremendous difference for me as a writer that I do every time I sit down to write in order to clear all of the mental cobwebs and all the distractions and everything that's trying to take my attention away from my writing project. And I call it my Nietzsche journal. The philosopher Nietzsche said that the purpose of being human is to become someone who does not deny and I used to do some research on self-deception, and I found this fascinating. In my Nietzsche journal, I write one page where every single line begins, I do not deny. And then it's whatever comes out. I do not deny. I do not deny. I do not deny. It could be good things, bad things, funny things, anything at all. And a lot of times what happens is that I unearth some deep stuff that was in there that I never would have realized was actually taxing my mind, or I unearth something that is a deep, deeply buried, beautiful, sparkling gem that I just would have never known about. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This podcast has a simple premise. It's to take the classic and cutting edge wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today, how it relates to your world today. Zoe Chance is back with us to walk through her habits for success. If you didn't catch her with me in episode 989, Zoe teaches mastering influence and persuasion, and it is the most popular class at the Yale School of Management. Her research on behavioral economics, neuroscience, and psychology have been published in all the top academic journals. And her TEDx talk, How to Make a Behavior Addictive, has more than half a million views. Before coming to Yale, Zoe earned a doctorate in marketing at Harvard and managed a $200 million segment of the Barbie brand at Mattel. And from Zoe's Yale course, she has written a book titled Influence is Your Superpower, The Science of Winning Hearts, Sparking Change, and Making Good Things Happen. That again was the focus that we had in episode 989. You can find that book, Influence is Your Superpower, wherever you get books and connect with Zoe at zoechance.com. So next up, Zoe Chance and I talk through her personal habits for success. Zoe's, I mentioned in the first show and talking about habits, it's just so uh, relevant to your book. Influence is our superpower. We're talking about how to go out there and thinking initially of influencing other people. And yet here we're talking about our personal habits. And we've got, of course, you know, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, going through the roof right now. And we're trying to figure out how can I influence myself? And we talked about that aspect that people correlate usually negatively to influence of manipulation. And yet I'm thinking about every day, I'm just trying to take the next thing I want to get myself to do. And how can I manipulate myself? Is that, is that, that's not a bad thing, is it? Not in the way that you define manipulation. No, no, it's a good thing. And the only person harder to influence than your kids is yourself. So 
it we think that it's hard to influence other people and we just aren't being conscious of how difficult it is to influence ourselves. And we imagine that it takes motivation, right? And a lot of times what it takes is just making it easier to do the things that we want to do or making it more pleasurable to do the things that we want to do. Um, and, but, and I discern or distinguish pleasure from motivation, right? So pleasure is intrinsic rewards and motivation is some kind of external reward in this context I'm thinking about. But um, what, what I find is most helpful for me more than anything else is some kind of external social support because I'm a people pleaser. And we talked about this in the other yeah, show. Yeah. I know you can relate to that too. Yeah. So um, I'm a people pleaser, but I'm not a Zoe pleaser in this way. <laughs> so I'm not That's a good boss of me. It's an interesting way to put it. I like that. Okay. Uh, I, I have a coach for this reason. Okay. And I've been working with a coach for over a decade. She's responsible for probably 40% of my happiness and my success because I need to have a boss. I need to have someone be the boss of me. I'm a professor. Nobody's the boss of me. And so when and, you say a coach, give me a frame of reference of a life coach, business coach, health coach. Where Where is she? She's, um, she's a personal coach, but we cover a lot of professional and business stuff as well. And actually she's given me a ton of advice for the book that I wrote. And I talked through lots of the concepts and material with her. And she taught me my favorite influence technique, which is the magic question, which you used on the show earlier with your son, which was what, what would it take? Yeah. It's a great coaching question for other people and a question that we can use for ourselves and for anyone that we're trying to influence. What would it take? So that was from my coach, Mandy. And that one, yeah, that goes in the face of that negative aspect of manipulation when you come out and just say, look, I want to influence you. How can I do this for your, well, it should be framed in for your good. This isn't about me. But how can I do that? So I, I appreciate it. It depends. And, and it could be just something that you want, right? What would it take for me to get a promotion, for example? Okay. What would it take for me to be paid at the top of the salary band for this role? And when you come to your boss and you ask a question like that, you're not saying, because I am trying to benefit you, boss, it's fine that some of what we're asking for is just for us. But your boss will be happy to tell you exactly what it will take because yeah. they want you to be productive and engaged and happy and stay and not be part of the great reset or resignation or whatever we're calling it. Well, which, I'll, okay, shameless promotion. That is chapter 3.5 of Zoe Chance's book, Influences Your Superpower, and it's called Ask. So listen to the first show to hear us talk about that. So the, I often start off with, you know, just the arena of health, your own health, your own personal wellness, your exercise, your nutrition habits. I want the behind the scenes look at what Zoe does. Now, I know you did at least uh, from an exercise standpoint. I so appreciated your TED talk on I forgot the title. It was on addiction. What was the title? It's called How to Make a Behavior Addictive. Yes. And you came to that from your own story of your own addiction. Of course, you talk about addiction and then came at it and it was addicted to walking, which most people are going to. I know. But, but okay, so I, I got to tell you, I, but I totally got it. I, exercise is my main drug. Uh, you know, here, here I've got my expensive, you know, Gar, Garmin watch for me for riding and running. I pay attention to it and I connect it to... Uh, Strava, which I have friends who do that. And then 
Strava, I, I, the thing that I'm most addicted to there, if I put that there is not even just the consistent measuring of how often I exercise or how long I went, or for me out here, it's the elevation, you know, how much elevation did I do, but I'm just comparing myself to the last time. And so I love the little dynamic in there that says I did, I did this two days ago. Uh, I did a ride that's a consistent one that I do in the winters, especially, and it of course compared it and I did a PR It was better than I've ever done on that made me feel great. And here I am bragging to you and the whole audience about that. And they got me, uh, Strava got me and I'm sitting here talking about them. Uh, so I relate that. So all that yeah, to bring and it's us back. Great. And, and you're not addicted and you're not ruining your life. It's going well, right? The Strava is a good influence. Yes, it is. Now, but you shared on your, so folks go listen to her TED talk and you'll hear how it went awry a little bit uh, for you, but tell me what you're doing nutritionally, exercise, all that good stuff. Right now. So I had this book launch uh, six weeks ago and I have been doing a terrible job of personal care with health, with eating badly, sleeping very little, exercising very little. And this is also where my coach comes in. And Mandy, her number one goal for me is that I get enough sleep. That's always like anytime I'm checking in, I have all of these goals that I want to reach and accomplish professionally. Just how are you sleeping? Um, what's, your, so- what's your goal uh, time-wise? Not I know that's not the holy grail and my audience knows that, that the quality counts just as much as the quantity. But I do. I'm interested in that. What's your, what's your quantity goal? I wouldn't say it's a goal, but my preference is nine hours a night. Okay. And I know that's very high compared to most people, but actually Mandy has persuaded me. And then I've read some research on it, including a book called the power of sleep, but some other stuff mm-hmm. that um, in research experiments where they have people who are getting eight hours of sleep experiment with getting 10 hours of sleep, they perform better on things like measures of IQ. And when people who have had eight hours of sleep during the night come in and they take a nap during an experiment, they, again, perform better on problem-solving tasks and things like that. So I don't know if it's true for everyone, but I know that it's true for me that I perform better when I get more than eight hours of sleep. Nine is, I don't know if I've ever had anybody state it that high. <laughs> I look at that. So I'm sitting here pulling mine up and right now, and I'm at a, I'm at a deficit from my norm, but I have eight hours and nine minutes. That's at least the last week uh, of sleep. And I had one recently where I did do nine hours because I had a big day coming up and I wanted to perform. So I appreciate you pulling that out. Uh, so norm, let me go to your norm. So you're out of your, out of whack now. And I appreciate seasons and cycles. And of course, huge congrats on the book launch, but so from the, so sleep is there on the norm. What do you do in these days from an exercise standpoint when you take the time? What I aspire to be doing every day that isn't every day right now is just going on a walk or a run from my house. And I finally, for the first time since I lived in Colorado 20 years ago, for five years, and I would go out for a walk or a run every day in the mountains. And mm-hmm. everywhere that I lived in Colorado, I could run somewhere beautiful from my house. And now is the first time that, again, I can do that right from my house to find a oh. beautiful place. And I live by a reservoir, and I feel like I'm in Colorado when I go run around mm-hmm. by these lakes. Yeah. How about nutritionally? Anything specific you ascribe to there? I have recently shifted to just asking my body 
in, I find that my body is not a good decision maker in the grand scheme, but it's a good decision maker in the moment. If I ask it very in a finite way, not what do you want to eat right now? But if I, and I literally have these conversations in my head, what is the right food for you right now? And my body will tell me. And then I ask, and what is the right quantity? And then I have made a surprising shift toward eating way less meat. And I'm not vegan, but much farther along that spectrum, just by finding moment by moment, like, oh, I guess my body doesn't really want to eat the salmon that I might have grabbed for it. So I usually eat pretty healthy. I like healthy food, but, um, you know, and so for me, when I'm not eating healthy, it's like, oh, I'm eating a lot of popcorn or something silly like that. Have, does this come from a place of having been fairly restricted and regimented in the past that you're giving your permission, yourself permission? No. To, no? Okay. No, I've been really, really blessed to enjoy healthy food. I enjoy exercising and my body frame is pretty small. And so all through my life until over 40, I didn't really have to think too much about what I was eating and just pretty easy. And then over 40, now like I see I've got a belly that I didn't used to have and like things look a little bit different. So now I'm for the very first time as a woman, which is great. So I'm 47 and it's crazy to have lasted this long as a woman without going through restrained eating and all mm -hmm. kinds of other, um, and especially self-hating and obsessional kinds of relationship with food. But, um, yeah, now I'm figuring it out and I'm really glad to, I think be figuring out, Oh, I was actually just eating a lot more than I needed. Yeah. And when I ask, okay, and what's the right quantity for you? And then my body's like, Oh, like just this little thing is actually all you need. I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> I, I relate to that. I'm so I'm 50, I'm 51 and I'm surprised, especially with the amount of activity that I do. I, I exercise, as I said, is my, my favorite drug. Um, I eat so little and I look at the amounts that we have culturally gotten to. And I just, I, I, sometimes I think I'm not physically capable, especially with my sons. I cannot, if I ate that much, I would be, <laughs> it'd be a bad, a bad deal. But yeah, but realizing how little I think that we need, and of course we've got a lot of studies that show longevity in the association with calorie restriction, but that's anti. I, but when you say longevity, those are studies with animals that we're talking about, Right. Of longevity, no. Actually, it's part of uh, like Dan Butner's Blue Zones, you know, book at looking at where people are the healthiest and the happiest. And so often they, at least, no, I should say calorie restriction. How about if I just say less than the normal average American diet amount? Okay, Is that fair. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the restricted eating studies with rats and things where they will um, restrict them to seventy-five percent of what would be a normal amount for rats to eat. No, and then they can extend their lives quite a, quite a great deal. I think restriction is probably not the right word. I'm trying to think of what it actually is, but just less, you know, less yeah. than the actual norm. So we look at those and we have our, especially again, I'll pick on my own culture, the American culture, and we tend to eat large amounts of food. We love that full feeling. And I get that. I was a pro cyclist. I did that too. But today the amount, like what you said, and I'll look and go, it's a very small amount, but I'm going to eat a handful of bites and I'm going to be full after that. It's just going to be for pleasure. That's okay. Sometimes, but overall I want the help. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about relationships, family and friends? So you have a 13 year old daughter, you said, right? 
Yeah. And, uh, and this is a good time to ask it because you're in a busy season. And so when you're trying to safeguard those relationships, not just family, but your friendships and ongoing, what are some of the habits you have in place for that, Zoe? Um, I would love to have more habits related to my friends. I, mm. I think I do get to spend quality time with my family and I have this blended kind of strange shape of family where my daughter and my mom and my husband and I each have two separate houses and none of us share the same two separate houses. So we all overlap with each other at different times on different weeks. Um, like my daughter has a super awesome baby daddy who's a colleague in my same department at Yale and she's with him half of the time. And uh, oh my God, I guess I would say, I and <laughs> I know it's not a popular opinion, but divorce has been one of the greatest blessings as a parent. And as long as, and I'm not saying you should get divorced or anyone listening should get divorced, but I have so much time to myself that other parents don't get because they don't have their child going to be with their other parent half of the time. So this is how I get to have a thriving career. It's how I get to, I do get to spend time with friends and I do get to follow personal pursuits and I get to travel a lot and things like that. So I'm in a way um, having an experience that's more like some dads have and not very many moms, but the other huge thing that I have the blessing of in my life is my mom living with me. Mm. And half of the time we live together, half the time she's in Philadelphia. And my mom is my very best friend and she's my daughter's third or fourth parent. And it's, they have a great relationship and um, it's awesome. And my mom is so much fun. Like she, a little while ago, she, she comes into the kitchen and she has a cake. There's, it's a total surprise that she has a cake and there are these sparklers that are stuffed in a cake. They're on fire. And these are huge. They're not like candles. They're fireworks looking like it's going to set the house on fire. And um, <laughs> she's just singing happy Thursday to I you. I love it. That is my mom. I, I, I love it. I am a celebratory prone person and am often finding myself looking for like today it's snowing. The kids have a snow day. And my first thought is I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to get something. So maybe I'll do a cake, a cake with sparklers because and it's Thursday. It's Thursday today when we're talking. Oh, it is actually. Yeah, it is Thursday. I love, I love that. Thanks for listening to my episode with Yale professor Zoe Chance, author of Influence is Your Superpower. Find her book, Influence is Your Superpower, The Science of Winning Hearts, Sparking Change, and Making Good Things Happen wherever you buy books and connect with Zoe at zoechance.com. It's interesting, Zoe, when you talk about that, you know, you related it to uh, the separation of divorce, but something that we started, my wife and I did, she started it a long time ago was just taking a, a sabbatical in essence, whether it's three days, five days, whatnot, but it has become something that I look forward to. I'm giddy about it. Now I 
am admittedly an, an introvert. So I'll, you know, we could, you could do, do with that what you will, but the time to get away that we do, I guess just the fact that we don't do that. We have our yeah, families hundred so percent. Yeah. How often do you, and you do separate sabbaticals. I do mine right? solo. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. going now. Yeah. I mean, we do, you know, getaways uh, together, but no, I'm talking about just by myself. I take off in my van with my bike and my, st- and all my stuff. And I may sleep in a tent. I may get a hotel. I may stay at a friend's cabin. I just, I literally take my point is to not have a plan. I'm going to take off kind of like what you said, listen to what my body wants to eat. I just, what does my body want to do? Uh, today. And as far as writing, now you just, of course you did your book. Well, you wrote it a few years ago, but uh, it's- I, I, I wrote it four or five years and I just finished okay, it. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Six months ago. I, un- yeah. I understand that. I think my story is going to end up similar. <laughs> um, but that's a, such a great time for me to go. I call it go, to go down the rabbit hole, to get someplace where even here in my office, it's still where I do business. There's other distractions. And so to get away. So I'm a fan of, in whatever way of taking time to get away and just get to know yourself, if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. So that's thank, amazing. Thank Does you your wife that. also take sabbaticals? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that's an amazing way to have nine children. And, yeah, well, like, yeah. and I think all parents need sabbaticals and almost no parents ever take them. So I'm so happy to hear that. you Well, and, and not to go down that, but even spa, why do we not do spouse sabbaticals? Uh, I mean, there's, yeah. is there, and this is going to be, yeah, this flies in the face, as you know, of a lot of the perspectives, but I don't know that, is there anybody I want to be with 24 hours a day? Not, not really. I mean, I, I like a break from anyone. I, I get tired of myself, yeah. much less anybody else. And so, but why do we not do that? So there's a good, uh, thank you yeah. for bringing that up. Yeah. And I, I, I put in a plug for divorce. I also want to put in a plug for not necessarily living in the same space as your spouse. So my husband and I each have two different houses and we overlap in one of them and we see each other less than definitely less than half the time. And we love each other to bits. And this is the healthiest, most sweet and romantic and fun relationship. And my dad and stepmom hadn't lived together during all of my childhood when they were um, when they were together and they would see each other on weekends. And they they would joke around about how that was the the recipe for relationship success. And I thought they were crazy. But now I feel like all the time I get to spend with my husband we don't take it for granted. We appreciate yeah. it so much. Because we're going off on, on a tangent because I have questioned, it's been in recent years and it was re- in regards to some friends, uh, gosh, and family, there's multiple instances where there was one spouse suffering significantly back to your aspect of sleep, suffering their sleep was, and their life was exactly. I hear you. I see you nodding your head because of sleeping with their spouse that kept them awake. And I went, where did we come to this point to where it's by proxy? If you sign a marriage certificate, you have to sleep in the same bed, especially with this person who snores like a train or tosses and turns, or just like me as a light sleeper. And it's this death knell. If you don't even sleep in the same bed and, oh yeah, well, yeah. 
Yeah, we have another bedroom and it's not uncommon that one of us will go and sleep in the other room and we get great sleep and then we wake up in the morning and we're super happy to see each other. Yeah, yeah, we we ended up doing that when one of us is, you know, sick and she's coughing or something. I go, "Man, I'm going to go sleep in the in the uh, guest room." And we're like, "I slept really well." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in there. And yeah, when I go off on my getaways and I, I sleep, actually my favorite place is out in the middle of the woods with a mattress in the back of my van. I, that is literally where I sleep the best. I should probably really? just do that on my land, but, uh, okay, well, there you go. There's a, a free rabbit trail for everybody. Um, that, that was un, unexpected. All right. Next book is, is mental. Just asking about you from a mental standpoint. Now we started off in this aspect of, or in this show of talking about how we work to influence ourselves, even, you know, manipulate ourselves. But I look at that when I look at my mental state and what am I doing overall for my own mental health, mental well-being, And it is how, figuring out what are the things that I need to do? What's the magic sauce for me? And maybe different for you to influence your mental state. Yeah. And what you just said about what is the magic sauce for you, I believe in that wholeheartedly that it's going to be different for each one of us. Yeah. But um, multiple things that I do, one of them is I, when I have some, um, when I have a negative feeling or a negative experience, or when I have a really big positive one, I don't keep it to myself. And this includes when I've done something that I regret or that I'm ashamed of, I'll share that with, or somebody, you know, like I get rejected. And it, if I don't share these things with somebody like a friend, my mom, my sweetheart, and, but sometimes even with my my Facebook friends, I'll just post very personal stuff so that I have it, have it out there that it doesn't get its claws into me so much if as in the way that it does, if I'm trying to repress it and trying to hold it in. But um, for anyone who writes, I have an exercise that made a tremendous difference for me as a writer that I do every time I sit down to write okay. in order to clear all of the mental cobwebs and all the distractions and everything that's trying to take my attention away from my writing project. And I call it my Nietzsche journal. The philosopher Nietzsche said that the purpose of being human is to become someone who does not deny. And I used to do some research on self-deception and I found this fascinating. In my Nietzsche journal, I write one page where every single line begins, I do not deny. And then it's whatever comes out. I do not deny. I do not deny. I do not deny. It could be good things, bad things, funny things, anything at all. And a lot of times what happens is that I unearth some deep stuff that was in there that I never would have realized was actually taxing my mind, or I unearth something that is a deep deeply buried, beautiful, sparkling gem that I just would have never known about. Now I'm familiar with him and his stuff. Now, is this coming out? Did you say it came out of some of his works, this concept? I, of I just took the inspiration yes. from something that he said about the purpose of being human is to not deny. Oh, right, right, right. Where did he, which, do you know which book he is? That, oh, I'll find it. Okay. I'll find it and I share it. I remember the first place that I saw it was in Alain de Botton's Consolations of Philosophy. Okay. And that was how I became interested in Nietzsche. Okay. That's interesting to me because I've 
recently had some times of actually I was, I was looking at the Enneagram again. I, I was kind of back in that we had somebody on the show and I was looking at it in regards to myself and found myself in a certain point of, of kind of that. I, I didn't think about it as far as what I'm not denying, but it's almost like an admission of, you know, I am that. I don't need to fight that. I am that. I'm managing X, Y, Z. I am, well, in, in this sense, to be candid, it was, I am a glutton. I mean, I just am. And I actually kind of like it. I, I kind of enjoy it. Now I got to manage it because it can go awry, but I just want to be okay being that, that that is who I am. And I had some ki- my kids testify to, uh, <laughs> to my character and it was along those lines. And uh, so you saying it in that reference, reference I'm not going to deny X. Now, again, you said, you know, it can be good, bad. It can be, um, it's just interesting. So yeah, I, I want to dig yeah. into that one. Thank you. And and it's liberating, isn't it? Yeah. To just look yeah. at that and say like, oh, okay, I'm a glutton. That, that's who I am. So I'll manage it in whatever way. Um, yeah, I find it liberating and I find it empowering. Uh, how about on the financial side of life? Any specific uh, habits that you have employed there to Keep yourself where you want to be. My parents always lived below their means. And so mm-hmm. I was lucky to have a good example of that. And um, and now I'm lucky to be in a situation where it's not that hard to do that. But because I have taken that so seriously and tried to always live below my means, um, I'm in this amazing situation of a great book deal, book coming out, and I have a thriving career. And because I'm trying to never use all that I make, I'm giving half of my profits from the book to organizations that are fighting the climate crisis. So 350.org is the one that I'm focusing on and supporting this year. And I feel so wealthy. I've never felt so wealthy as being able, as I feel being able to give away money. And in a significant way. And it's one of the most satisfying things that's ever happened. That as a, it doesn't get talked about as much probably as far as a financial habit is the power of giving it away of generosity. And again, how it, it fills our own self-interest. It feels great. So thanks. It feels great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You know, the next one I usually hit is spiritual and it's, you know, the aspect of looking at having a, a devotion to a bigger purpose and, and a greater picture uh, that's out there. And one thing I didn't ask you about, because your book was a, I, I didn't ask about where the impetus of the book was, because it came from, as you said in the first show, it came from your teaching, came from your class. You've been doing this yeah. for a while. I don't know the story of what got you to even pursue this topic, to pursue and ultimately create the class. Where did that come from? And I'm tying that into the bigger picture because you're not standing up in front of a class or writing the book just for your own uh, kicks. Uh, there's, there's obviously something bigger you're serving. Yeah. And I think it is a spiritual question for us to ask, what is the most helpful thing that I can do? And that was the question that I asked myself when I was getting hired to the faculty at Yale, where they because I had been a brand manager for Barbie, they said, oh, you could come and teach consumer marketing. And because I had been researching philanthropy, actually, they said um, you could come and teach social social marketing, not social influencing, but nonprofits. And those two things would have been fine. But I asked myself, what is the most helpful thing that I could do? And I realized the most helpful thing that I could do would be to create a class for MBA students 
to become more influential. And it would draw on my background, including marketing and including research in psychology and behavioral economics, also sales, also negotiations, and also my background in theater in the charisma part. So it's just me as generously as I possibly can giving the best of what I possibly can that I think would be useful for people. And that's the same thing I'm doing in the book. Thanks for listening to my episode with Yale professor Zoe Chance, author of Influence is Your Superpower. Find her book, Influence is Your Superpower, The Science of Winning Hearts, Sparking Change, and Making Good Things Happen wherever you buy books and connect with Zoe at zoechance.com. on that is you just talked about your career and that is the next one that we hit and you've you mentioned that you're in a good place right now but you have been i'm always curious i mean you were doing the class it is the you know radically popular class you're doing well and now you did a book you have done a lot of speaking or doing a lot of speaking so as with most people on the show you got a lot a lot of opportunity What are the things you're doing to keep your career in the boundaries, as we talked about in the first one, in the boundaries that you want it to be in, to keep it manageable even? You know, I think maybe in the spirit of being as helpful as possible, maybe I could share something even more helpful than that, which was a very difficult decision that I had to make about my career. And this was um, in... 20, I guess these conversations started in 2017. So it was before I had a great book deal, but I, I got hired to my dream job on the tenure track at Yale. And this was the job that I wanted more than anything, my whole entire life. The teaching was going great, but what I'm supposed to be doing is thriving as a researcher and publishing like crazy in all the top journals. And I was publishing some stuff, but I didn't love it as much as I was supposed to love it. Mm. And because I didn't love it as much as I was supposed to, I wasn't able to be performing at the level that I was supposed to be performing. And I was focusing all this energy on my class. And so finally, I admitted to myself this is, I'm actually not on the right path. I am not just not going to get tenure at Yale. I'm not able to persuade myself, motivate myself, force myself to do the research that I'm supposed to do to even have a shot at it. By the way, here at Yale, it's so hard to get to the place where they decide if you have tenure, it takes a decade. And then if anyone thinks you're not going to get tenure, they tell you not to go up for it. If you've gone up for it, they think you'll get tenure, but 60% of people get fired Mm. instead of getting tenure. So when I say I wasn't going to get tenure, it's not that I sucked. It's that I wasn't going to be among the very small number of people who succeed instead of getting fired. And um, I was deeply ashamed Mm. to talk to my senior colleagues and say, listen, and with my mentor, Gal, he's the first one I told, I just said, I'm not able to do the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm not loving it. I'm loving teaching. And he worked with me and some of my other senior colleagues worked with me to redesign my job. So now I have a half-time role as a senior lecturer, which is in academia, being a senior lecturer instead of an assistant professor means you are not on the tenure track and you lose so much status 
Hmm. And um, you can't really see right now, but I'll show you if I tilt. I have on either side of my office, this teeny little office glass walls. Yeah. And I, my office is the size of a king size bed. It's in the middle of a corridor and everyone walking by can see you and me having a conversation right now. And I love my work here now more than I ever did when I was on the path that you're supposed to be on, yeah. on the tenure track path. And so, you know, doing, trying to do the research that you're supposed to do. And now I have so much freedom and I have so much liberation and I have so much motivation Last thing about this is that as I renegotiated my job, which includes half the salary that I had before, so this was a wow. big thing, as I renegotiated my job, I asked to not have to go to any department meetings and or any meetings of any kind, and they said yes. And the amount of the level of thriving that I feel in my work now means that I go to more meetings than I ever used to go to in the past. <laughs> But when I show up, people are happy to see me. They're like, oh, Zoe's here. And I'm so happy to see them. And it's great. Uh, thank you. That's a behind the scenes that's worthwhile of looking at that. I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm so curious. It's so uh, disparate to hear the different journeys of bringing people to the show here with something that they've got to offer the world, how that happened. And, uh, that is, uh, that's interesting. I've got back to kids again. I've got a kid who's looking, he's really interested in just pursuing academia and to hear, oh, really? yeah. And to hear that, uh, will be of interest to him and it will a lot of folks on the show, um, because, uh, yeah, it comes up a lot. So thank you uh, for that. Last one here, Thanks. Zoe is really just a, a, the personal spoke and you can put this in the self care category. I like to also add on and not forget play and fun uh, hobbies, other interests, those things that just light you up and make you the inspired Zoe that you are. Tell us about that. I, and the, in the big picture grand scheme, I love traveling and travel adventures and all that, um, travel internationally for fun a lot, as well as for work. And I love animals and I'll take my daughter on wildlife vacations. Those are amazing. But just day to day, I just love laughing and goofing around with my family. And there are so many days that one or more of us laughs so hard we cry. Wow. And those are the things that keep me going. That's, uh, it probably goes back to number one with sleep. Are there, very, are there are very few things that are as life-giving as great sleep and great laughter. And, and, and I put that in here, play and fun and hobbies, because I got to a point in my life and realized I'm not playing. I mean, not that I wasn't having fun, but man, I don't, I don't play. And so to hear that laughter, I still have to have the kids remind me that sometimes we can watch something funny, dad, uh, instead of something profound and meaningful. And that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, not that that's not meaningful. So, Hey, thank you. Thank yeah. you for, uh, being candid. Thanks for giving us a behind the scenes. And, uh, I've got more to think about as far as how I influence myself. So thanks Zoe. Thank you. Thank you. And it's just really interesting to hear from you as well. Thank you. Again, you can find Zoe Chance's book, Influence is Your Superpower, The Science of Winning Hearts, Sparking Change, and Making Good Things Happen, wherever you buy books, and connect with Zoe at zoechance.com. Coming up next in episode 992, I'm with Tom Ziegler. We take on the virtue of respect. Is it only earned? Can you really give respect no matter what? Should you? 
And if so, what does it look like? And can you still have boundaries within it? So we dig in and talk through it in the coming up episode. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 